We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Mike Brown, Head of Physical Performance at Bodo Glimt. Also worked at Notts County, Hull City. Massive thank you to Marcus Walfordson for helping set this up. The topic, periodization for a high-pressing team. Uh, topic that periodization comes up a lot over the last five or ten years. But... How do we schedule, how do we plan for a team that wants to play ultra-expansive football, high-aggressive systems? We talk about that. We talk about getting buy-in, managing loads, creating the environment. And, of course, I wanted to ask him about that experience of going up against Mr Mourinho and Roma in the Europa League. Brilliant, brilliant insight from Mike. You're going to love this one. After this interview, I went back and started watching Bodo Glimt in the Europa League, watching the full games starting with a Celtic game, really, really interesting to watch the energy, the intensity of the press, but also some of the shapes and the movements in the build. Highly recommend you go back and take a look. It's a team that's different, very, very different to watch, and it's really good to get that unique insight from Mike during this interview. So hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. Coaches, as always, appreciate the support. If you want to go that extra yard and support what we do here at Modern Soccer Coach, Go on to modernsoccercoach.com slash shop, order a book, order a webinar, help support the work. Also, if you go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page, that would be huge as well. Thanks as always. Here is Mike. Enjoy. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Excited to have you on. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I just said that I've, I've watched your webinar and, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about periodization in this here. So there's there's a few things that I, I wanted to to kind of follow up with you about that presentation. I'll put the link to the webinar so everyone can also go to that and have a look at it. What I really enjoyed about the webinar was like availability. It's a bit of a touchy subject because obviously I'm a coach and I feel as if availability that we've gone for the direction of now under training players. But you said that in the interview that you're, you know, you're pretty comfortable pushing and striving to get to the match demand. So I, my first question really is straight off the bat, how do you then balance between getting the players available and then the sweet spot of where, you know, getting them primed for the for the game? Yeah, that that's the that's the million dollar question. It's it's mm. hard to do. It's really tough to sort of try and find that right balance. But it's all about, in my opinion, is not being scared of injuries. That they're, they're gonna happen. If you're pushing a team hard enough, you're gonna get injuries. Um, we kind of quite often take the chats. If we're not getting injuries, is is why are we training hard enough? Are we doing something? The boys are feeling fresh. It's kind of not a not always a good sign in our heads. It's kind of the opposite. We want to be pushing them. We want to be getting them as fit as we can. I think it's really important um, to think about the signings. Signings. The players have to be the right players who can actually do what the coach wants them to. If you're trying to fit square pegs in round holes, and no one's going to make it work. So here at Glimt, we've been really lucky. We've made some great signings who kind of come straight in and fit what we need them to do. So it makes my job nice and easy, but then it's just a case of 
if they get injured, having protocols in place that get them back as quick as they can. Um, we're quite, say, good. We're not about blowing my own trumpet, but we're quite good at getting people back um, a little bit shorter. And again, that's a risk. We kind of explained to the coach, uh, it should be a six-week injury, for example. It's been four, so if you play him, there's a chance it's going to happen again. But to kind of embrace that, to manage the load around it and focus on that, getting them on the pitches, because that's where that's where we want them. That's where we get the three points. Yeah, so that so on the recruitment side, and I and I completely I get that the challenge. I'm just you can't get physical data on a signing, right? Like, so how do you know that a player's resilience, or maybe like you're because you're going to push a real high tempo game style? What? How do you know that they can cope with that before they come in? So that's kind of down to the scouting team a little bit. There's been some times where you you will go back and they'll say, look at this player. So we'll have a look. The main thing is having a look at availability. That's the key mm-hmm. one. For me, if they play every game, there's a good chance that they're ready to go and that you can kind of then just enhance them a little bit, but they're not injury prone. If we get players who play in four or five games and then need time off and then four or five games, what we do is we kind of back ourselves as being one of the most intense sort of training venues that you can have. So if people aren't really handling the load in another training venue, that's that's a little bit of a red flag for us. And that's something that we point out to the coaches. You know what it's like, coaches. Normally, if they've got their heart set on a player, they might not listen to us, but it's kind of then just pointing out, yeah, can, this guy's going to come in, he's a risk, but we can then do X, Y and Z. It might take six weeks before he's full training. So we put the focus on getting them on the pitch, but then maybe modify elsewhere in the training schedule. So they're there on what we normally play on a Sunday and then they might not do so much throughout the rest of the week or they might be modified or do a little bit more physical work with us than the football. So it's it's kind of a little bit of give and take for them new signings, but it's something if we can get it right, and there's been a few times where we haven't got it right, and kind of the club here are quite, they're actually brilliant in, right, we've signed a player, this is our plan for him. Okay, the, this plan hasn't worked, let's move that player on and then and then we go again. So it's, it's there's quite a high turnover of players. Yeah. So I've heard I've heard that about about Pochettino as well. Like if you break down constantly, they just they just move on. Again, similar to the the philosophy, almost like we don't we don't we're not scared of injuries. We embrace injuries. Is this something that we should be a bit more comfortable with as coaches? <laughs> yeah, you have to really sort of pick your moment in a new club mm-hmm. to say, yeah, we're going to get injuries in it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter because. Of course, if an injury doesn't matter to a player who's not in the starting eleven, but when it's your captain or your mm. top goal scorer getting injured, they, it of course matters. Um, but then it's it's just about being careful where you can do, being over uh, sorry, not being over cautious where you can. We sign a lot of players who say, "Oh, normally I, I wouldn't train match day my, uh, plus two, or there I need a longer recovery." So we get all of that data in the screening when we do the medical. And then we go to the coaches and we go, oh, this guy wants two days recovery or this guy there. So that will affect your training numbers on that day or on that day. So we try and get as much information as we can. A lot of the times we'll say, right, we start with that. And then we wait until the kind of becomes an issue. We look at the numbers and say, your numbers are down on the other boys. Why don't you try this? So we always try and give it until there's a natural pause to kind of say, right, you're not doing perfect here. So let's have a look at where we can go and how we can improve it. Um, to try and get the player on side. Normally, it helps. We're winning games and we're we're doing quite well. So people who come to us want to buy into what we're doing. Um, so obviously, we're we're really flying in Norwegian terms. 
getting to the quarterfinals of European Cups and stuff like that. So where people are coming here already with that, right, I want to work and I want to do well mindset. So that makes it easier for us. Yeah. Oh, there's so many different ways it can go here. We'll definitely talk about the buy-in in a second. Uh, the one thing that stood out again in your presentation was when you went with, I think you went over with your wife to take a look and it was the game model and that's the style. And But you said it in the interview, like a lot of coaches have this idealistic way. Um, how did you know that it was, you know, there was a real, there was some meat on the bone with the game model and the aggression? It, it was everyone I spoke to. So the club at the time, they were favourites or one of the favourites for relegation. But everyone said, now we play 4-3-3. We press from the front. And I said, well, what about against the good teams? Who were gonna, like, we weren't one of them. So do we still, he said, yeah, we still go. We go gung-ho. And we, if we lose, we lose on our terms. So it was everyone in the whole club from the uh, head coach to the sporting director to the doctor even was, now nah, this is what we do. This is Buddha Glimt. We do this. And it was kind of ingrained that you're not allowed to do anything else. So it was, it makes my life quite simple. And I can just look at it and go, right, this is how we play. How can I influence that from a physical point of view? Because that isn't going to change. It's just going to be bang, bang, bang. This is what we do. And I didn't believe it at first until that first season when it, it was the same. Everyone we played, home or away, right, we're doing this. It was really good for the players because they know what they know what they're doing. So it doesn't matter where it is. We don't go, right, we're going to go long or, that's right, we, you know what you're doing, off you go. So there's a, a clarity in everyone's approach. That's fascinating. The, the, the individualisation piece, again, stood out, jumped out to me because I think it's very, very difficult to do in a in a... In a season even the planning process of it you mentioned about the forwards obviously the, the three forwards having higher work rate to do uh in in terms of the press and i mean how do you navigate around is it a week-to-week thing do you do you see it at the start of the year that you plan out of what everyone's going to do or how do you manage that yeah we try and do it with as much notice as we can but it just has to be evolving so we try and the main people we look at are not the starting 11 because they get enough input through the rest of the training. Um, we maybe try and tailor it a little bit if the if we've got a striker, for example, who's not great in the press. If we're doing a shooting drill, if he misses, then he, he does a recovery run or he does a couple of shuttle runs after it. So it's really simple little things like that is just to condition games in order to make it better. That One of the things is simple is they, if there's a playing matches, they have three seconds to take a throw in. So that our goalkeeper sh- uh, coach is shouting one, two, three, and then it's it's sort of naturally the wide players they're sprinting because they know they've got three seconds to get the ball back. So it's they don't even know they're doing the extra work, but it goes out for a throw in, and you see the left back hurtling over because he has to get three seconds or it's their ball. So it's just little environmental changes that have helped to really sort of harness in into what we're doing. Um, we do a lot of actual physical work. We were lucky in twenty twenty or maybe unlucky, but we had three month uh, extra pre-season where it was just individual training because of COVID. So we were training in small groups. We could only train in four. Um, so the coaches, they were coming in and they were doing normal sort of football stuff with four people. And you know what that's like as a coach. Most of it was shooting. So our centre-backs got real good at finishing. Um, but then it was kind of over to us as, right, we could be really specific on what we want to do with each person's running. So it wasn't just positional. We were working on Certain wingers who like to cut in, they were doing the cut in and then an outside diagonal run. So we went really specific onto what they were doing. Um, and we were doing that every day for three months. So when the start of the season came, the boys were flying and it's sort of that front three who 
I think it was the most points ever scored and goal points and stuff like that. So they all got decent moves. AC Milan, Watford, to name two of them. So it was worked really hard with them boys. That was good. Brilliant, brilliant. You you mentioned in your in your interview that or the, your webinar that you you kind of got a bit of advice with some people from home at, at clubs. Um, was that over like loads? in terms of like thresholds or was that more in terms of like those environmental factors that you talked about or what kind of area that was mainly it was mainly looking at loads it was to kind of give a sort of a grounding point as to what top clubs in england were doing and where we were in relation to that um i was fortunate we had the, a lot of friends who i've studied with who were happy to sort of share i won't tell you who so they don't get into trouble yeah um, yeah <laughs> but we were getting a little bit of data off people so it was good just to see where they were and sort of the high pressing teams it was the front three who were the signal players who were doing a lot of that high running so at the end of 2019 my first season it was when we were comparing numbers with premier league teams we were pretty good everywhere except the front three were down so that's where we put a lot of focus on that front three as they started the signal they started the press so we wanted that movement to be a little bit more dynamic in that front three so we put a lot more focus on that in 2020 and 2021 yeah i mean this is a conversation i've had with tons of coaches about the mentality piece with the press because again like you look at the selflessness and the ability to to almost back press and if a mistake's made get back in there and i mean what kind of environmental things or what kind of management is that is that down to the culture of the club yeah the big difference here in in norway is it's a stopgap is is the way i see it is players come here to get better because they want to go to bigger clubs or and especially with people like uh, Erdegaard and Holland, people are looking at Norway now um, and like I say the couple of players that we've signed to big clubs people come here wanting to work um, obviously a few of the local boys it's a dream to play for the club but it's a dream to play go and play Premier League for 10 years and then come back is kind of what the mentality is so everyone comes in here thinking right I work as hard as I can and then hopefully I get that big move and a big life-changing move because it's small club really small league in comparison to the rest of the world so it's people come here with that real mentality if they want to work they want to get work good and they want to see where the future takes them Jeez, that makes a big difference day to day doesn't with that mentality it's so simple but there's a bigger goal and a higher goal everyone's takes care of a lot yeah of yeah and the, the team itself i think uh we've only got two players over 30 the rest of the boys are young up-and-coming boys who, who want to see themselves playing in other leagues and test themselves so it's it's a good mentality i think there's only as, as you know there's only two people in the team who've got kids which helps as well so people get plenty of rest in the night time or after they finish training which that makes a big difference for when we go away on european trips we go away for almost a week mm. so we can go and really focus on that game and there's only two of them who are kind of worrying about what the wives are doing with the kids the rest of them are happy as larry on the playstations in nice hotels so they're they're happy so it's it's little things like that where it, it's kind of fallen into place that we've just got a squad like that um people might tell you it's by design i'm not so sure i think it's uh it's it's fortunate you have to in football in my opinion you have to look at fortune and say right things have just connected the stars have aligned and we've hit a good spell obviously we're doing things well but it's i think it's important to admit that sometimes you can be lucky yeah there are a lot of a lot of different dynamics like again I, I don't know anything about your world but uh, but 
from trying to navigate through it. There's so many different, like for example, the buy-in. The buy-in for me fascinates me because you're asking people to work. And maybe this is down to the age profile and maybe the culture of like the stopgap that you said, but you're asking people to work harder. And with pressing systems, you're asking them to work harder for other people. So sometimes it's they're not even going to get the credit for it. And I'm sure from your point of view, in your world, that's the details as well, the recovery and making sure there's detail of diet. I mean, there's they're not eating burgers or ice cream, you know, like how do you get that buy-in? Yeah, so there's when I came in, the the food at the club, it was fantastic. It was lovely stuff. But I put on about five kilos in my first three months. So that's something we really revamped it. And it took a lot of education, um, working with the coaches, working with the uh, kitchen staff and kind of explaining this is what we do, this is what we want. What I try and create is a, an accountability culture, so a no excuses. So the boys come in, if they start putting on five kilos and the food that we're giving them is burger and pizza, then we have to look at ourselves and they can say, oh, I'm eating salad at home, but you're giving me burgers. But if we get it perfect at the club, then they've got no excuses from us. So if they're putting on body fat or getting heavier, we you kind of go, well, what, what are you doing at home? And then you've got that accountability factor. So that's something that we do. We have uh, access to a DEXA scanning machine, which looks at muscle mass and fat mass. Um, so we take that regularly on the boys uh, every three months. So there's And compared to the skin fold calipers, there's absolutely no hiding place on, on one of their machines. It looks at everything. Um, so that's perfect. So we kind of, the boys know, Normally we're quite nasty, and if they've had a break, we say, "Yeah, boys, you you've got a week off." But then your decks are when you get back, so they know that they've just got to be switched on a little bit to everything. We're we're sort of on top of them. We try and give them as much as we can, but like I say, do that in relation to then you've got no excuses if you're not performing or you're doing things wrong or you're not looking after yourself away from work. It's kind of then you've got to look at yourself a little bit, and that's the culture, that's the performance that we're looking for. And yeah, it seems to be working quite well at the moment. Mm. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, live data, you mentioned about using that there. Um, again, it's something that I think as coaches we look at and it's always like in our ideal world, someone's done too much and we can pull them out just at the right time. But I wanted to ask you about what if it's the other way around? Like what if it's halfway through the session and Johnny hasn't got to the level he needs to? What are some ways you manage that? Uh, in the three and a half years I've been here, we've never pulled anyone out for doing too much that's that we don't do it that we do it the exact opposite so we have a depending on what day we're, we're doing stuff so if it's a big play focus and we're looking for high speed meters we just monitor it if the boys haven't done enough so usually in the big play and training the center backs maybe haven't done where you'd want them to in relation to a game so then they all know that they stay and they're doing extra running after so it's always to that do that extra extra little bit after we kind of let the coaches do their thing during training and then we might go, right, you need, you owe me 50 metres of sprinting or you owe me this. And then it's, that's kind of not how we look at it. Yeah. What what kind of staff do you have helping you with that? So at the club, we've got myself, um, two full-time physios and a full-time uh, fitness coach. So we all kind of, it's a little bit of a family run club. So everyone does a little bit of everything. Um it's kind of horses for courses. We A couple of the physios are from a Pilates and yoga background. So they tend to work a little bit more with the early stage rehabs and really sort of concentrating on the um, 
small details. We do quite a lot of work with the core and quite a lot of work with flexibility with the boys from a recovery strategy. And then it's kind of down to us um, and the physical coaches to push them when they're getting back onto the pitch in that sense. Um, but it's it's if anyone's next to the uh, iPad, they check it. So it's it's kind of whoever's free and we all kind of have a bit of depth to muck in with everything. Hello coaches, we take a quick break here. We do our very, very best to keep as much content on Modern Soccer Coach as free as possible. Uh, the website, modernsoccercoach.com, has articles, analysis, breakdowns, YouTube page, exercises, sessions, analysis, breakdowns, podcasts, webinars. If you're feeling generous and it's a summer and you're looking at doing a little bit of reading or you have a month or so before pre-season and you want to help support the work, please go ahead, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Get yourself a book. We've just released Modern Soccer Coach Detail, an overview of over 2 million lessons on the podcast, uh, which has been phenomenal. And we do an overview of some of the takeaways and then how that all comes together in an environment data, psychology, science, training, philosophy, social media, all these things, these information sources that are coming at coaches today. How do you manage it? How do you put it all together? Modern Soccer Coach detail. Loved writing the book. Go ahead and get your copy. Help support the work. Really appreciate it. Back to Mike. Plan for the week. And, and when you're working periodization, it's something that a lot of coaches are really interested in and something that I, I was learning whenever you were, you were giving your presentation was does is it a tactical theme that's you know do you plan say match day minus four is your defensive day is is mm. that measured against the intent like it's going to be higher longer sprints is that how you've managed and prepare the load for the week based on themes yeah so we we kind of base it on pretty much if we're saying it's for example a defensive day then you're working on a, it's working on our back four and our sort of low line midfielders what we then know is that they're going to be doing more focus on the ball, but maybe they're playing against the what we would call the B team or the second eleven, who are working on a high press because that's what the coaches are working on. So they might be pressing our centre-backs. So we then calculate sort of the opposite for match day minus two, if that makes sense. Yeah. So then our defenders are doing, the starting defenders are doing less than the attackers. So them two days sort of flip. Um so we just have to tailor it to who's doing what and when they're doing it. Um, we factor in everything. If the coaches are saying, right, we're going to play against a team, we're just going to go sort of long ball every every time. Maybe we, they might be doing a little bit deeper deeper work. So then we modify that. So then they might just have to do top-ups. But we have target metrics for every player, um, not just position-specific, but individual-specific on how they play. So it's their target. So if it's a match day minus four, we want them to hit that. If the coaches don't hit them that in a session, then we do top ups. Mm. And sometimes you might get to a point where, especially on big play day, our wing backs are pretty crazy. So if they're doing a lot of sprint meters, then we might say, oh, they've done almost a full game on a Thursday. So maybe on the Wednesday, you want to modify a little bit. So if you're doing a lot of transitional crossing stuff on that day, maybe the fullbacks are coming in and they're not whipping the balls in, but they're coming in as support players or gamble with them on the back post, that type of stuff. But it's never normally used as a, um, right, pull them out because they've done too much or they can't train tomorrow or they have to be inside, but it's more 
maybe modify him from doing too much crossing or don't do a finishing drill that day or that type of stuff. So it's just to give the coaches information. They might say, now we want to do finishing because we haven't scored in three games. And then you, what can you say? Because it's about winning three points, but you have to just be smart about how how you angle it. And as a physical coach, it's it's always picking your battles with coaches. You know, you know what it's like. Uh, picking your battles with players as well. Like I've, I remember going to convention over here it must be 15 years ago when when the science was really pushing on and and it was about these heart rate monitors and how at, at this point you could pull a player out of that and I, even then and i thought like there's no, that player's gonna be it's probably gonna be your hardest working player they're gonna be stuffed that they're out of the session <laughs> do you think that just a natural isn't a good practice or is that just something that depends on the player or the coach yeah i think it depends if I'm pulling out a player and he's happy about it, I'm I'm questioning that. Like you say, well, why would he be happy about coming out? It's not, it doesn't sit right for me. The players should want to be on the pitch. And you, if there's an actual reason or a risk from an injury point of view and you're having to pull them out, I should be having to fight them out and get them off the pitch. It shouldn't be, yeah, I'm done. I think that's that proves a bit of a bad mentality if the boys have got that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm for me, it's not about... It's never about me or about the physical coaches. And I think sometimes you can get lost in the data and say, oh, but the data says he's done enough. But it, how does that actually feel for him if he's doing that amount? Is that normal for him compared to someone else? So it's just trying to make it as individualised as you can do. You're always going to get people in the team who work harder than others. That's natural. That's life. Um, but I, I don't like the idea of pulling people out and... Footballers, they train for an hour and a half a day, more or less. So that's their work and that's their job. So you, you want to get them on there for as much of that as you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, other things like the post-game, you know, you see some people doing their sprints afterwards for the players that didn't play. Do you still do that or is that something that you modify? No, we still do that to try and keep people on the cycle. So um, people who aren't in the squad, they'll always train on match day. Um, where possible, they'll play for the B team. And we try and align the B team to, to be on the same day if we can do. Um, and then the subs, they'll always do running. Our focus is on to try and get as much high speed and sprint meters in as short a time as possible. It's, you know what it's like, especially if you've lost or you've got a flight home or something like that. It's, it's quick and you have to be as fast as you can. So we just put that focus on sprint meters and high speed because that's what they're not getting from that input that they're missing from the game. So that's what we really focus on. So we get out as quick as we can, sprint and then we're out of there yeah um match day minus one is that something that's a set day that is less mentally taxing or is that something that the coaches want players to be you know does it change every day or is it a, a routine no it changes for us it depends that's when they maybe do a little bit of uh set piece work and it, they might really want to focus on that I think for me, that should be a physically less demanding day, but maybe a sort of mentally quite demanding where the boys have to actually concentrate on this is how you stop it, because that's when it's as fresh in the mind for the players going into the match. I like I like to do it a little bit fun, try and make the boys smiling. I'll normally join in in the rondos on that day and let them not make me 12 or 13 times. It's, it's always on purpose, I promise. Um, <laughs> but it's just to make, make them smiling a little bit and having fun and then let the coaches go over and do what they need to do to get the boys as prepared as they can do. 
Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, let's talk about uh, Mr. Mourinho. Uh, I had to ask you about him. We're talking about pressing stays, and obviously, like when you're up against Roma, and Mourinho comes with a reputation on many things, but usually a, a quite defensive, negative style of football. Uh, when you saw it up close, was it more attacking than you thought, more expansive than you thought? What were your first impressions? Yeah, so we played them three times um, this year. The first time at our place where we won 6 1, I don't think that was a true reflection. He put out a few younger players or a few players who hadn't been in the squad. I, I don't know if he was, that was just before the transfer window. So he's a very smart man. So I don't know if he was making a point that he needed his squad strengthening or or what, but I, he's really, I think he's one of the smartest men in football. So that wouldn't put it past me that there was ulterior motives. Um, so it's hard to say anything. We were really good that day. It was a full stadium. Um, but he said in the press that our first team is better than his B team. And I, I think he was right on that. Um, when we went over to Roma, the second, uh, the first time that was two all, and I think that they that meant something to Roma. Then they were really trying to win that. So looking at his style, then they were actually quite attacking. Um, they have some obviously some really good top international players, so they were they were really good. I didn't think that they were too defensive. Um, I thought they were smart in. We had one midfielder at the time who we've since sold, but he was sort of our key player. Um, he was missing that game through injury. So I think that helped because they were trying to mark him, but then he wasn't there. So that wasn't our key sort of outlet. So they, we were missing him out anyway. So that kind of helped. Again, look, maybe that was just, you say missing one of your best players might not be perfect, but I think that helped us. Um, we had a guy who was maybe not as fantastic on the ball, but worked his socks off. And it was everything just aligned for a two-all draw. Um, I, I tell a lie, actually, we played them four times. So we beat them at home again in the quarterfinals. Uh, I didn't think they were just a standard team then. But when we went away the second time, they were unbelievable. The way they had them playing, we lost 4-0 and we went out of the quarterfinal. That's the most attacking I've seen one of Mourinho's teams. They were fantastic. They were the movement around the box was they were too good for us. Mm. Um, so I think it shows the sort of the credit to him as a manager that in four games he looked completely different in almost every one. Um, which, like where I say familiarity, the way we do things is the same every time. He modified it to give us a good old beating in that last one to get himself through when, when he needed to. Um, so it's yeah, great manager. I imagine like when you're at a pressing level and you're looking at the metrics and then you go to that, like especially the last game there, the four 0 game where they where they put on a show. I know I would imagine the Italians in Rome would be able to knock it about, break presses. Were the were your metrics higher then or were there less pressing opportunities because they were moving out of it quickly? Yeah, they were much they were much lower because we weren't hitting them on the break either. So we weren't getting that long sort of sprints forward where everyone was joining the counter attack it was it was almost we were just camped quite deep in the um in our own half we couldn't get out much so there was short little presses but nothing to what we normally do and they like i say they were their movement in the box and around it was was a little bit too good so we were trying to press but i don't think we had the opportunity to get there um 70,000 angry italians helped them i think with the uh, 
So it's something that we, we get 4,000, 5,000 at, at best. And going there, they they didn't stop singing the whole time. It meant something to them. And you, you see now they're in the final. So they it's something they want to win. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, there's a great picture of him and the, with a hat on whenever you beat them at your place. Uh, how did you find him or how was he away from it? Was he quite personable or was he a bit standoffish? Yeah, yeah. The the first time before the the game, for if you've been to anywhere near our ground, it's a tiny old thing. There's there's nothing. So change rooms aren't big enough. So they had about 30 staff members just in the corridor. And as you were walking past, he was uh, saying hello. He was pleasant enough. He was signing autographs for all the kids. I don't think he was quite expecting to lose 6-1. So he wasn't quite as nice after the match. Um, but they're a big club. If they go anywhere and lose 6-1, I guess it's it's almost crisis meetings and uh, things like that. So he, he wasn't that good. But then when we went away again, it was a great place to go. They're really hospitable. Um, they helped us in sort of sharing any of the videos and stuff. I know the guys were in touch with them and it was it was it was a fantastic experience. We've had a few this year where we've been to some big clubs and every one of them have been really welcoming and it's it's been a great year. All right, fantastic. Let's let's get to some questions that some of the coaches put in on, on social media for you. Uh, and a lot of these are centered around periodization, so that's why I kind of put it up as. So uh, Sam has asked, uh, could periodization work at grassroots level? Should we look at match day as being in the middle of our week? Example, if we play on a Saturday, then the next training day, would that be on a Monday? If that makes sense. I think a lot of grassroots stuff depends on when you train and sort of when people are available for training and then you modify what you do in relation to that, if you're training three or four times a week, um, then you can tailor it to that. If it's once or twice a week, then you can kind of build it like with the match day as your sort of big bay, big play training day and then work it that way. But I think if you have a plan into what you want to get out of any session physically over a period, if you say, right, we want to improve this press and we're going to use games as a way of doing it over a six-week period, I think you can apply periodization to anything you're doing um in the sort of podcast or the interview that you're talking about what what i mentioned is for me the way of explaining periodization is just a structured plan as to what you want to achieve and how you're going to do it and it's as simple as that if you if you're grassroots or premier league or international it doesn't matter as long as you just this is what we want to do this is how we're going to do it and this is the plan if it fails it it fails but that's your plan of how you're going to try and improve what you're output is on the pitch yeah college i don't know if you know anything about college soccer over here it's an absolute uh mess in terms of the schedule so one of my uh one of my colleagues i i worked in it for 15 years i still keep in touch with a lot of coaches and someone rang me the other day richard moody rang me a scottish guy he's like right they've moved our games from i don't know why he rang me but he must no one else must answer <laughs> He said they moved their games to a third. They used to play Friday, Sunday for three months straight. Right. Two-week pre-season, three months straight, Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday. They've moved it now to Thursday, Sunday. And you're probably flying to a lot of your away matches, blah, blah, mm. blah. So he's asking, like, what day would I get my, like, when can I work, basically? You know, when can I get a big day out of this? Yeah, so that's basically what we were doing last year in terms of our European Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Um, so what 
what it's important is that for at our level is it's simple you don't you don't get a big sort of focus on the pitch i think as a coach to accept that is a hard thing to do because you coach you want to influence what the boys are doing on the pitch but it's then about modifying how are you going to influence them so do you do more videos do you do more one-on-one meetings do you actually work on almost a walkthrough on the pitch so this is how we want to do a structure if they go there we move over here and we do stuff like that if it's if you're wanting to work them then you, it's maybe on the tuesday but it's two days after the game two days before the game so what are you actually trying to achieve if you've got a decent size uh, pre-season that's when you get your work done that's when you get your fitness done and then it just carries through through the season and it should just be right we just kind of bounce through and we get through on momentum a little bit um where your work comes in is with the people who aren't starting because they have to be if you're doing such a tight schedule for three months you're going to get injuries so then people have to be ready to step up so that's where you try and put the focus as a coach on my work is on making sure that this young lad's ready to go if they get injured yeah i work with i really enjoy uh snc coach i worked with last year here in louisville brie brown and everything her answer for everything i would ask her on stuff was always what exactly are you trying to do? That's what you remind me of. There. But it's so important, right? Because like sometimes as a coach, you want to do this, you want to do this. But if you narrow down what your absolutely solid objective is, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, if, if you think about what you work, you're doing three working days a week in terms of your games. Then you're just recovering. So it's about match prep and being ready to go. So it's that's your, that's your work. Thursdays you work, Sundays you work. And it's it's what can you do it? In between, or what, like you say, what what do you need to do? If the answer is nothing, then the answer is nothing. If the answer is we need to work on set pieces because we've conceded four or five goals, then that's a, that's a key point that you need to focus on. And then that's when you work on how much can we be doing. Does if we've got one uh, free kick taker, maybe he doesn't take all fifty free kicks. You have to then modify it a little bit. It's just simple stuff like that, and just kind of be smart about the time that you're on the pitch. Brilliant. Uh, Malonis has asked you, if you got a dollar for every time you get asked this one, I bet you'd be a rich man. In pre-season, are you training the physical aspects isolated or are you combined with tactical aspects and small-sided games? Yeah, we combine everything. So everything that we do is focused on the coach's vision and, and the club's vision of how we want to play. So uh, anytime that I put in an individual programme, I go to the head coach and say, well, what do you think? I think this guy maybe needs to improve his change of direction speed. And if he says, well, actually, I want him to be a bit faster over 20 metres, then I shift my focus onto what the coach wants. That helps in two ways. He's picking the team. So if he wants him to be quicker doing that, it doesn't really matter what I want him to do. So that helps in that way. But then also from the buy-in from the player, if I'm saying, look, the coach wants you to get better at this and it gives you a better chance of playing or a better chance of pushing on, he's already going, all right, brilliant. Um, the physical coach and the physios are the least popular, least cool people in the whole club. So if you can get the coach sort of buying into it, the players buy into it straight away as well. So it's it's all linked and it's all about getting performances on the pitch. Brilliant. Uh, JT has asked, without technology, how can you know when players are fatigued? It's, it's tough. There's a few simple things that you can do. Um, simple daily wellness score so if players are just filling in a 
they can do it on the phones now. There's plenty of apps for it where you can just sort of fill in how well did they sleep, how tired early after the last session, how tough did they think the last session was. Just stuff like that kind of gauges and lets you as a coach decide, all right, maybe we can push a little bit harder. Or, wow, everyone said it was a 10 out of 10 tough session yesterday. Maybe we need to come down a little bit from that. So that that's quite a simple reporting system. Um, for me, any any data you use or anything that I'm telling the coach is just to kind of prove to him what he already knows. He's the expert of watching football. So my if he says, oh, did this player didn't run? And I go, yeah, you're right, he didn't. That's what the numbers are there for. That's what the technology is there for, to make sure the coach's eyes right or to reaffirm what the coach believes he sees. So it's I think you can do it as a coach if you're experienced and you know what your what your sort of plan is and what you're looking for. The technology is just there just as a support network. Yeah, I know a lot of coaches over here, and actually this is my last one where it's along those lines from Gerardo or Eddie Gerardo is asked about how to plan the loads efficiently without trackers. I think a lot of coaches over here feel as if because they don't have the technology at youth level that they're missing out. What advice would you have for them? Yeah, you can plan it as much as you want, but it's down to are the players, what are they doing on the pitch? If they're playing games and you're, you're winning every week, it's about what your eye sees. If you're thinking, wow, we're, we look slow compared to that opposition, or maybe our wingers could be a little bit quicker down the line, or if you've got a particularly fast striker, why isn't he running behind? And then it's it's if you haven't got the technology, you just use your your training and use your ability as a coach to kind of say, well, I want you to do more of that. So he trains a little bit more of that. And it's about putting him in situations where he does more of what you want him to do. You might say, OK, he's getting a little bit tired. So if you've got two strikers, you just work one at a time. So then they do half and half. So it's just reaffirming what you, like you say, what you want to achieve. Um, and it's about being specific for individuals, for positions and trial and error. If you're pushing people and you go, oh, we look tired in that game, then you take it down the next week. If you go, oh, we, we weren't sharp enough, you pick it up. And it's it's just about using that knowledge. I think, like you say, the technology is really good, but it can often be a, a little bit of a clutch where people are going, oh, well, maybe I need this or I don't. Or I think it's it's just there to support. And that's what myself or physios were, the term support staff, and that's there for a reason. It's just to try and help the coach do the best job with the players. So it's it's good for me. If I don't have to speak to the head coach, then it's, it's perfect. It means he's doing a, he doesn't need my support. So the less you need from technology and from other people, the better you're doing. Do you think that there, that's a great point, but do you think that is sometimes a challenge for a young a physical coach or SNC coach where they're coming out with a lot of ideas, a lot of energy and a, and a big degree and they're thinking, I need to impact this environment right away. And sometimes it's about... Like you said, they're standing back and supporting. Yeah, I think everyone wants to do a good job. And I think if you're going into uh, any sport, you're working long hours, you're working hard. So you kind of want to be helping. And it's all about you can't be on the pitch heading goals in yourself. So you have to sort of try and impact where you can. And it, it is really hard. You kind of come in and you're, you're really keen and you want to help and you're putting your hand up and you're saying, what about this, what about this, what about this? But sometimes, like you say, it's it's important not to overload the players the better the education that you can kind of subtly provide to the coaches, but we'll maybe tailor this to do that. Or have you thought about that? If he says, no, this is how we're doing it. Then you can kind of step back and go, well, maybe next time he didn't do as much or 
it's about waiting for the right opportunities to correct the change. Um, if your team's winning every game and you go to the coach to change something, your chances are that you're going to get told we're not changing anything. But if you're losing games, then you maybe wait for your opportunity and say, well, what about this? Or if a player's having a bit of a uh, sort of dip in form, that's when you can come in and influence it a little bit. But it's about waiting for the right moments, waiting for the right times, because more often than not, the coaches have been doing it for a little bit longer and they have their style of doing it. So it's just about working together, finding a plan that sort of fits everyone and helping improve where you can. Brilliant. Uh, last two, these are my two questions. Uh, final two for you. I've, I've kept you. I've gone over here, but I don't care. We'll just drag this one out. Uh, we talked before we start recording about relegation and you talked uh, about your experiences at Notts County. And then you just mentioned there about like the mental piece. When you're given physical breaks and even the pressure of winning Europa League games and even being in that relegation fight, I mean, how how hard is it to manage physical, mental fatigue and just uh, people being down or people being under pressure? How how much is that? How do you navigate through that even? Yeah, it's it's really hard and it's it's about the individual. Sometimes some players when the when they've lost, we we were actually in the Norwegian Cup final uh, two weeks ago and we lost. Uh, so it's like the equivalent of the FA Cup. So some boys came in and they didn't want to talk for two days. Other players who would normally recover the next day came in and said, I, I want to train. And it's being a little bit flexible. And I was really surprised. One guy, he's a nightmare to get on the pitch most of the times. But after that match, he said, nah, I, I just want to train and I want to train full and sort of get it out of my system. So... It, for me, it was a. I was looking at it from a periodization going, I ah, shouldn't be anywhere near the pitch. But it helped him and it helped him recover. So it was like, okay, yep, we can kind of make allowances on that one and then off you go. The main thing for me is it, where you can treat them like normal people is it's about being a normal person. So if you have a day off, for me, that means a day off. You don't wear your kit. You don't get told to come in, not even for press, nothing. And it's trying to be a as we're sort of away from it and as a normal human as you can, I think that's the best way of switching off. Um, the culture of the boys up here, we're surrounded by mountains and lakes and all sorts. So boys will go fishing and go walking up mountains on the days off. So it's it's quite easy to get them away from it compared to when I was in England and the, there's not much else to do than a, than a coffee. And you, then you get fans coming up to you and the boys don't really get that escape. Whereas here, it's quite easy for them to... There's no people up here, so it's quite easy for them to disappear off into the hills or go fishing and they can kind of get that a little bit of alone time. And I think that's important to promote. A lot of the times boys ask if they can come in for treatment, but for me, I say only if it's really needed. If you don't need to, stay away from the place and sort of clear your heads and then we get back into it two days later. Yeah, but what about you? So, like you mentioned there about the 24-7 nature, like I, I do think, yeah, like support staff, we're all working, but I've seen the physical staff work, I think, work harder and longer than anyone else because they're doing those sessions when they're reserves. When do you get some time to just to take away with your family? Yeah, that's uh, that's hard because we work, we work seven days a week, sort of most uh, most days. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but my wife also works at the club. Oh wow! So, so I don't get any escape from her either at home. Or <laughs> I work. <can> stay on <laughs> you. So that's a, that's a nightmare. I can't even tell her that works on because she's got the same schedule as me. So 
I can't I can't escape from her. So it's it's hard. Uh, but I think it's something that you if you want to do it, you do it. And that it's part of that calling, as it were, to be in football. And I take a little bit of pride in we get players back as quick as we can or we have the fittest team. So it takes a little bit of dedication and it takes that work. Um, you have to be smart and you have to get the time where you can. Um, for example, uh, we had a day off earlier in the week. We were in, but we were in. I got the boys in nine till ten and then gave myself the rest of that time off as much as I could to try and get away, have a walk around and just be as, as normal as I can. For me, kids help because when you come home to your kids, you can't be thinking about work. You, you're watching Ben 10 or you're wrestling or you're, you're doing something. So that's been a big difference from, from when I had kids to not because I was coming home and talking or researching or doing something. But now it, it is a switch off to have that mentally draining and tiresome in other ways, but it is a, it's a switch off from work when you come home, have your kids, but it's, it is hard, but it, it's part and parcel of life, I guess. Yeah, like there's there was a, a big thing on social media. It was about three, four months ago. I know Ground Guru did a fair bit on it. was about this life balance. And I know mm-hmm. in your world especially, there's because of the academics, I think, because of the nature of that, you're coming out of that and then going into such an intense world. Mm-hmm. Um, most coaches are really coming from a former play. They're not coming from as an intense studying world. And like, what's your advice to a young coach that can they – you know, can they balance both or or do you just have to kind of choose what the level is? No, you, you can definitely balance both, but it's about what balance is. Because for me now, if you put me in a in a nine to five job where I had every evening and every weekend off, I, I think I'd hate it mm. because I I have to sort of look at myself and go, what, what is my job? Five days a week, I get to watch people play football. Um, with injured players, I get to go and train with them and work on my free kicks. It's just taking a little bit of uh, joy in what you do and it's it, you, you accept that it's hard, you're not working easy life, but you get to enjoy. Like I've been lucky enough to go, we've been to Celtic Park, like I say, Roma, we've been to AC Milan and that that's work. So whereas I'm seven days a week, you then get them opportunities where you go, this is unbelievable and I'm, it's lucky to be here. So it's you have to take the rough with the smooth a little bit and sort of enjoy where you can complain about it, find a forum for that, because that's important. Yeah. Um to have a have sort of a place where you can get your get things off your chest and have a good moan about it. Um and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's that's part of it. And then get yourself ready to go the next day. It's hard any environment where you're with 30 men, you're not going to all get along with each other all the time. Um but it's important you're all there because you love doing it and it's and that's it. And you kind of knuckle down and make the most of it hey, fantastic Mike thank you so much wow unbelievable flown I'm going to go back now and watch those Roma games I was I always watch the highlights and the goals at the time I need to go back and watch that 4-0 game yeah, just, yeah don't watch that one just watch the 6-1 one that, that was the best one that's where I recommend it yeah absolutely mate it's been great top class cheers Mike have a good one we'll talk yeah. soon speak soon bye cheers thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.